Grace and mercy and peace be with you, my dear friends in Christ, and God our Father, and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. As a congregation, we have been working our way towards our 150th anniversary celebration uh, over the last eight weeks. Again, if you're, if, if you're with us for the first time today or you haven't been here in these last eight weeks, our church is 150 years old. That's a long history. And we are celebrating next Sunday, and if you missed the announcement at the beginning of the service, let me just say it again. Next Sunday, we have just one service at 10 a.m., one service at 10 a.m. Uh, with fellowship time here, and then a little bit of a break. And then at 3 p.m., there's a, a, a flyer in your bulletin with directions to the Keweenaw Base Camp, where we'll have a picnic and fun and festivities, and we invite you to join us for that. Leading up to this anniversary celebration, we have been working our way through our church's 150-year-old mission statement. So there's a mission statement that's been in our church constitution for the last 150 years, and it remains the same mission today. And so we've been looking at this phrase by phrase, and let me just read it for you in its entirety as we begin today, because some of you have not seen the whole thing. It goes like this. The purpose of this congregation shall be to give honor and glory to God, to carry out his will, to assist in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world, to manifest the unity of our faith in Jesus Christ as God and Savior, to foster Christian fellowship and love, to extend a helping hand in human need, and to achieve our objectives by the preaching of the word of God, by the administration of the sacraments, and by the religious instruction of all its members, according to the confessional standards of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. So for today, we are on this very last and final phrase. This is the last week of this series. We focus on these words, that in all of this, all of these objectives that we have as a church, that we want to achieve all of these things by three things, the preaching of the word of God, the administration of the sacraments, and the religious instruction of the members according to the confessional standards of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. In simpler terms, basically this, everything that we do, everything that we do has its foundation in three things. Three things, preaching, Sacraments and, and teaching. Preaching, sacraments, and teaching. Where those things exist in, and done in a right and true way, that is where the church of God exists. Today, in the book of Acts, we read a story about one of Christianity's earliest uh, apostles. His name is Philip. Now, Philip was not one of the original 12 apostles of Jesus. But uh, early on within Christianity, after Jesus had died, risen from the dead, uh, spent 40 days here, ascended into heaven, sent his spirit upon the disciples at the Pentecost event. After all of that happened, uh, the Christian church started booming. Thousands and thousands of people were being uh, converted to Christianity. And so the original apostles couldn't manage all of these people. They couldn't take care of all the tasks. And so they appointed some others who were, uh, who were Christian people to assist them. One of those earliest appointees was a guy by the name of Philip. You can read about that in Acts chapter 6. When we get to Acts chapter 8, we hear the story of Philip. An angel comes to Philip and directs him to go to this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Those places still exist today. I bet the road still does as well. He has no other instructions other than to go to that road. When he gets to that road, he sees something significant. There's a large chariot, and sitting in the chariot is an Ethiopian. And yes, he is a eunuch. And if you want to know what a eunuch is, if you don't know it, you can Google it. However, be careful about what you Google these days, all right? So, I don't need to explain it, do I? I'm not going to explain it. All right, just 
look it up if you don't know. All right, so he's an Ethiopian, and he's in charge of the entire treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. And he's sitting up in a large chariot. Now you might think, what's an Ethiopian guy doing in Israel at this time? Well, uh, when, the, when the Israelites were exiled into Babylon, if you remember this from the Old Testament, a lot of them were exiled into Babylon, but many of them also fled during that time, and they fled the other direction. They fled down into Egypt. And so over these last hundreds of years, the, the, the faith has been spreading down uh, into Africa. Now, still in Ethiopia today, there are, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians who wonder how that traces back to this Ethiopian. We don't know. But here's this Ethiopian sitting in a large chariot. He's a very wealthy man, and he's reading the scriptures from the Bible out loud, which was customary at this time. And Philip is walking along, and he hears this, and he thinks, maybe this is what the angel has in mind for me. So he goes to the Ethiopian, and he says up into the chariot, do you understand what it is that you're reading? And the Ethiopian speaks back to him, how can I unless someone explains it to me? How can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? All right, the Ethiopian's reading the Bible from a big scroll, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I can't understand this unless somebody explains it to me. I'm just curious if, if any of you have ever opened your Bibles and tried to read your Bible on your own at home. Has, just raise your hand. Have you ever read something and after reading it you go, I have no idea what I just read. Does that happen to anybody? Yeah? Some of you are liars or you just aren't listening, right? So there are so many times we read something and we go, what in the world? If that's never happened to you, I have a couple of examples for you. Here's one from Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance as construction, being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Sure. Move on to the next one. Okay, here's Revelation, chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great drag, red dragon with seven heads and ten horses, and on his heads seven diadems. So there's a vision of a pregnant lady in birth pains, and then a vision of a, of a seven-headed red dragon. I, I don't know if that dragon is an image of the woman's child. I mean, some of your kids are spitfires, but I don't know if any of them actually spit fire, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we read and we just go, holy cow. How can I understand this unless somebody teaches me or explains to me what's going on here? I don't understand if what I'm reading is literal or if it's a imagery or if I'm reading something historical or future or help me out here, right? There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we have a difficult time understanding. Now in particular, here are the words that the eunuch was reading up in his chariot that Philip heard him read. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? 
The Ethiopian's question to Philip when, when he said, when, when Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, I can't unless somebody explains to me. He invited Philip to come up into the chariot and sit with him. I think they kept driving along. The Ethiopian's question to Philip was this. Is Isaiah writing about himself or about somebody else? Now, Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked on, on earth. So this is prophecy. And, and so when he says, is he writing about himself or somebody else? Philip goes, wow, he hasn't heard about Jesus. He hasn't heard about Jesus. If any of you have been in the church for any length of time and been around during the season of Lent, maybe you've heard these words before. In Isaiah 53, these are words that Isaiah described. He describes the suffering servant. The suffering servant who, who would come and bear the sins of the whole world. And, and we know throughout the scriptures that those words are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so Philip takes the opportunity to tell the Ethiopian, don't you know about Jesus? Isaiah was not writing about himself. Isaiah was writing about the one that was going to come, and he's come. We've seen him. He's been here. My friends were with him during the time of his life and his death and his resurrection. The Spirit of God is among us and is living and moving. And Jesus has commanded us commanded us before he ascended into heaven, he commanded us and said, now go and, and baptize all nations and teach them about what I have told you and I'm going to be with you always until I come again. And so Philip says, this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to teach you about Jesus. And, and as they go along, as they go along, the Ethiopian sees a river down below the, 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 the chariot and he says, you talk about baptism, Philip. Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized this day? And Philip says nothing. The Ethiopian instructs the chariot to stop, and they both go down into the river where Philip baptizes this man on the spot. And then somehow the scriptures tell us that Philip disappears and appears somewhere else. And then the Ethiopian gets back in his chariot rejoicing along the way as he brings the good news of Jesus Christ to the continent of Africa. Today, as God's people, we gather together in God's house. You're all here today. You made the conscious decision to wake up and to be here today. Why are you here today? We gather together as God's people, I believe, because we're desperate. We're desperate. In, a, in an act of great humility and a great act of emptiness, we come into God's presence today. We come here today empty and humble because we know that we don't know everything. We understand that we just don't really get it all. And the longer that we live in this world with the brokenness of sin, we just simply say, God, we need you. We need you to be present in our lives because everything in this world falls and fails and you are the only one that's unchanging and everlasting. God, we are empty. Come and fill us up. So when we gather together as God's people, this is what God promises to do through the preaching of his word. He says, I am here today to deliver good news to you. Good news Jesus says that he conquered the grave for you. And because he conquered the grave for you, eternal life is yours. 
And if eternal life is yours, it means that Jesus will see you through whatever it is you're going through today. We gather together to have that word of God proclaimed into our ears. That the word of God might not just stay in our ears as head knowledge, but it might travel into our hearts. Where our lives are transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And then God goes above and beyond just simply preaching his word into our lives. We also gather together to receive the sacraments. These mysterious yet tangible means of grace. You saw Phoebe's baptism a little bit ago. Simple water. How can simple water do such wonderful things as giving eternal life and forgiveness and rescuing from death and the devil? Well, it's not just simple water. It's the water combined with God's word of promise. And God is at work in that sacrament. And, and God is going to come and be present here with us in the Lord's Supper in this tangible, tasteable, digestible way. Because God wants you to ingest his love and his forgiveness again so that you can be transformed by his love. Man, God is present here today through the preaching of his word, through the administration of his sacraments. And God is here today to teach us, me included, me included, God's here to teach us when we go, Lord, I just don't understand. Make your word relevant. Come and speak to me in the way that I need to hear it today. I tell you today, as I deliver God's word to you, every one of you are probably hearing this a little bit differently based on the, the situation that you find yourself in life today. But God's word is living and active, and I am simply a mouthpiece for the word of God, and his word is being preached into my life today as well. And I pray, my dear friends in Christ, that God's word is coming into your ears, that you hear of the good news of Jesus Christ, that life is accomplished for you now and forever through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, over these last eight weeks or so, we've been working our way again through this mission statement of our church. And there are all these different objectives of things that we seek to do as a church. What we are reminded of today in this last and final point is that nothing else matters except for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray that in everything that you've seen, all these objectives, that it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. There is no program, there's no pastor, there's no individual person that makes a church what it is. The church is founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. And where his word is delivered in its truth and purity and his sacraments are administered, rightly he is here. And so my prayer for us, my dear friends in Christ, and I'm humbled to call you my friends, is that we would be people who are desperate and that we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we seek after his truth. And when we do that, I believe that the spirit of God will be with us and among us and that great things will happen. And that not only will we continue to be alive, not only will we just be alive to survive for the next 150 years, but I know and I believe that if we stand on this rock of Jesus Christ, that not only will we survive for the next 150, but that we will thrive. And we're going to thrive. And if you gather with us next week for our anniversary celebration, that's the theme we're going to gather in. That for the next 150 years, 
in Christ, we are alive to thrive. Alive to thrive. I pray that you gather with us next week for that great message that God's going to deliver to us. And my friends, I pray a prayer upon you as we go today. Let's join in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you are a good God who created life for us. We thank you for that gift of life, and we pray that as your people we would hear your word, that we would be desperate to search your word, and that we would receive your sacraments worthily, that our lives might be transformed into your likeness, and we would receive that great gift of forgiveness for eternal life. Watch over us, Lord. Let us be desperate and hungry to have you teach us more about your word, that we would grow in relationship with you now into the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.